Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio. I'm Linda Lombardo. My guest tonight writes, there comes a time on each unique journey when the sojourner must stop to reassess. The common path has run out. The way ahead is not clear. The inner mountain reveals itself. The terrain changes, both formidable and exciting. The question arises as it must, you are here, now what? My guest tonight is Robin Rice. Every aspect of her work speaks to that very question. As a social change artist, Robin brings the question of now what to touch different parts of our lives, to dismantle the impossible beauty standards that make virtually every woman ugly or feel ugly, to help our youth who identify as lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or questioning feel safe and loved, to help us understand that life can be sweeter without sugar, breaking addictive cycles using what we know about neuroscience and change, and to help us all find the time and space to meditate, even if it's just one minute a day. As a spiritual teacher, Robin transforms lives and careers through an online apprenticeship in soul mentoring. With more than 100 apprentices in the last decade, her work is carried on through professional soul healers and mentors around the globe. She asks the question, what's next? using creativity, community, and a few video cameras. Her work is celebrated and more often than not, goes viral. It is an honor to share my studio tonight with Robin Rice. Robin, welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. You know, I have to confess, I have the one minute meditation as an app on my phone. Yay! Yay! I love it. And today I said, I wonder what it's going to be. And what it turned out to be for me was open to magic and synchronicity. Make room for the magical to enter. How perfect is that? Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. That's one of my favorites. Oh, it's one of mine too now. Robin, you're a spiritual teacher a social change artist, as well as blogger, speaker, author, and rainmaker. I really want to set an intention here tonight in this conversation to create the context about you for my listeners. Because often what I find is the content, the things that we do can create some separation in us. It's that feeling of being somewhat less than the person we admire or the person that we want to learn from. And there's this, oh my God, I could never do that, that crops up in each of us, no matter what our dreams or no matter how capable we are of helping to create change or being of service in the world. And because you're so formidable in our world of transformation, you're such a presence. I want my listeners to know something about you other than your doing. Mm. So I'm going to ask this question with purpose. Who is Robin Rice, really? Mm. I love the question, first of all, because, you know, on the other side of being the person that, that it does a lot and, and, and has um, created a lot, you, you also aren't often known, right? Because you're known for what you do and you're not, you're not people assume that they know you. And so to ask the question, to go deeper of, you know, who's really there, is, is great for me, too, uh, because I have an opportunity then to connect um, on a very real level. And I'm always, quite frankly, a little 
surprised, maybe is the word, um, that like I forget that I'm Robin Rice to other people. <laughs> I'm just me every day. And it's like, oh, that's right. I'm Robin Rice. I forgot. Um, and I think that's probably true of a lot of the people that we look up to is that, you know, there there is no difference between us in, in the grander scheme of things. You know, um, it, it sounds basic to say, but five fingers, five toes on each hand, you know, on each foot we're we're just basic we're just people and so what i've done or what i've tried to do is make my life out of what i want to see what i what pains me what um what i can't stand anymore and so you know if you really want to know me that's what drives me is when i when i can't stand something anymore and there's a million things that you know you look out there and you know you could change or you could work on and and I just I I just find some that I just can't stand anymore, and so I I just turn the creative fountain in that direction. What I love about that answer is it's the I'm hearing it's the activation that comes to each of us every single day. We we're activated by other people. We're activated by what we read or hear in the news by what we see on television. And there's a couple ways to get activated and one is more of that. I want more of that in the world. I think there should be more of that. And the other way to get activated is no, not that. Not yeah. on my watch, that can't yeah. happen. And it, I, it happens to us every day. So it's, it's wonderful to hear you put it that way because I want my listeners to know that, that they, the universe provides them opportunity to say yes to things throughout the day. And some things we say yes to and some things we say, well, you know what? No, that's, you know, I don't think that's mine. Yeah, exactly. And then the universe goes on and finds somebody else who says, oh, no, that's mine. I want that. Yeah, and we we do know, if we listen, we know. We know, is that mine? You know, is it my call? Is it my time? The two questions that have to be asked each time, is it my call and is it my time? And you see so many things, I'm very active on Facebook, and you see so many things on Facebook that are very worthy, you know, and, and people even will send me things, and, and I just know it's not mine, um, not because it's not worthy, but because it's just not mine. And you can't do everything. That's so true. Although I'm not sure about you. <laughs> Don't trust me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I say no a lot. I actually have a really good no function. <laughs> it works really, really well. Um, and, and I have to say no a lot. I have to say no a lot because there's, you know, um, there's a lot of things um, that, you know, quite frankly, I'm good at. You know, and, and I was good at a lot of things when I was younger as well, and I had to make choices. You know, was I going to go be an opera singer? Was I going to be a writer? And, and that can sound vain or, or whatever, but it's not. It's just there were, there were channels that were open to me, and there was no way for me to go and be a professional opera singer and a great writer and a whatever else. Um, so I had to make decisions, and we all have to make those decisions. So when you say we're each responsible for creating the world we wish to live in, is there more to it 
than what you've just expressed? Is there something else that lives in that creating the world we wish to live in? Oh, I mean, that's everything. Everything is in that. You know, what, what world do you want to live in? Because, because there are, you know, big worlds and there are small worlds and there's the world in your house and the, you know, the world in your, in your neighborhood and the world in your larger community. You know, there's lots of worlds. There's lots of levels of the world. But the, the one that you live in each day is in your head. That's the main world that you live in. And we have to create that world in our head and we have to come to terms with, you know, all the different characters that are in there and all the different, you know, competing thoughts and, you know, the temptation to be, um, you know, to let a mood, say, dictate our behavior and, and all kinds of things. So how we put together our world and what the choices that we make, that that creates the world that we see because I mean, we see 10,000 things a day. That's no exaggeration, probably way more than that. Which ones we actually notice are going to be based on how we put our head together. And, and so it starts at home in our head and then the world begins to um, unravel in that way for us and we, we see the things that we're expecting to see. And we ignore the things that we're not expecting to see or we just don't notice them. You believe that anyone who teaches and leads must do so by example. I believe that too, by the way. Why is that so important to you? You know, my whole practice has been, you know, I realized the other day, literally just the other day, I realized that, you know, my waking up experience was 17 years ago now, which is a really long time to to be practicing being awake. And, and I, you know, I wasn't one of the once and dones, you know, I had the great experience and then there was living up to it and, and learning it. And, and, you know, so for me, congruence is the only game in town, you know, am I who I think I am, who I say I am, who I present myself to be, you know, is it authentic, is it congruent, you know, and and it never is perfectly, you know, it, it, at least not for me yet, it's not perfectly, and so it's a constant evaluation of that, and I think that's how we become trustworthy to others, and uh, and, and how we we live up to what we say we believe, even if it's imperfectly. Robin, when I asked you what's been on your mind lately and what you might like to talk about tonight, you responded pretty quickly with reaching the second half of the mountain. I'm curious about the significance of that focus for you. Well, I, I realized a long time ago that I was really, really bored in the New Age section of the bookstore. <laughs> Because I was hearing the same things on on different topics, but the same kind of level of things, because that's what's popular in the market, and that's what the masses are kind of reading, and that sort of thing. And I was I was bored with that. And then I went into kind of the Eastern thought and the spirituality and Taoism and Buddhism and all those kinds of things. And I thought, well, this is really great, and and I I love it all, and and it um, it interests me. But but what I'm really interested in is this synthesis of 
where it's all going no matter where you are. So, you know, the idea is, um, and I just actually saw a Facebook page, uh, post on it today from someone else, someone else's quote that was, you know, very great on it too. You know, the, the first half of the mountain, you know, you're go say, you know, you're going up on the north side and I'm going up on the south side and, and you know, you might say, well, the south side's wrong and the north side, you know, the north, no, 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 you know, the north side's wrong. And, um, you know, we have all these, we, these, uh, different ideas and and we find the way that works for us and the path that works for us and that's that's sort of the first half and then you get to the second half and the path really runs out because most people aren't going to travel the second half they're not interested in the second half it was you know all well and good to wake up a little bit or to have a little spirituality but then when it gets hard they're not really ready for that yet I believe eventually everybody gets ready for it, but but there's you know from the standpoint of the masses of our society, we don't have that many people that are interested in the second half of the mountain and and the challenges that come with that. These can be found in mysticism, they can be found in Taoism, they can be found in um, shamanism. I mean, these are these are when you really challenge the culture and you challenge the status quo and you 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 know you become the fish who looks at the water and says holy crap there's water here <laughs> you know um and then the second half of the mountain is okay there's no path there's other people that have gone before me there's there's textbooks from you know eons ago and there's systems and 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 how do i make this work on the second half and how do i really get somewhere and and not be bullshitting myself and not be bullshitting others and and how do i do that while i'm making a living and i'm i'm creating in the world and so to me that half of the mountain for me personally is is the most exciting because it's just this wild terrain of our psyches and our souls and our bodies and and our human experience on a very very dedicated spiritual path without it being a specific path necessarily. Some people do have a specific path. They will take they will take that, you know, Buddhism or that Taoism or or that shamanism and they will go all the way with that path. But even then the path for everybody else has run out and you've got to figure it out for yourself. So as I understand it from what you're saying, there are a lot of people who may have the awakening or or say, you know, well I'm awake, I've had an experience and feel like feel as if they're done and and not really look any further and then there are those people who say well i'm awake and i'm awake now how much more awake might i actually be or is this really awake that deeper questioning it's a deeper it's a deeper dive into someone who really knows there are answers behind the answers. Yes. Well, I, I think, I, don't, I, I would say, I wouldn't say that these people think they're done at the bottom, you know, in the first half of the mountain. I think that they weren't quite prepared for it to be so hard. Mm-hmm. And, and they go, okay, well, I'll wait a while. Or, or I'm not quite ready for that piece yet. Or, you know, let me let me take it slow. I'm, it's fine as long as I don't have to lose my security and my pension and my husband and my whatever. And when those things start to get threatened, then they back off from it. But it's not. I don't, I don't think it's that they're not interested. It's just that you know that's kind of shocking. I mean, you think it's all going to be love and light, and then you look at it and you go, holy crap! It's it's like way more than that. It's a lot of work. It's work, and it's also. It's uncertain. You know, it takes courage. It takes real courage to to climb the second half of the mountain. 
So where does someone even begin that kind of journey? I think it begins, you know, for everybody differently. You know, I, I can look back and say that I've always been a person who didn't want to play the small, you know, thinking game. I, I, didn't, I didn't fit in, you know, so I really couldn't play the game the way everybody else did. I was forced to think about it, you know, go back to the, the beauty issues when I was 15 and, and really, you know, sitting in, in this double sink in my house and right up, you know, my feet were in the sink and I was, my face was right up to the mirror and I'm going, what the hell do they see that's so wrong? I don't see it. Like, I'm just a person. You know, why am I ugly? Why am I unpopular? Why am I this and that? I didn't understand it, but I also remember saying, there's a gazillion of them, and there's one of me. If they're all saying it, I must be wrong. You know, and so I tried. I tried to play the game. I tried to fit in. I tried to make it, and it never worked. It never worked. I believe now it was never meant to work. So, you know, that's how I came into it was, was, was really questioning society at the deepest levels, trying to play the game and, and having it not fit, you know, getting the, getting the husband and the two kids and the, you know, 2.3 cars in the neighborhood, you know, I mean, it, it, it was killing me and I didn't understand why. I had no idea why it was killing me. I just knew that it was. So that's how I came into it. But I think everybody comes into it in a different way. And I think there's a lot of women there who would resonate with that story, mm-hmm. Bo- both looking at oneself in the mirror and asking, well, what, what's the, what could be so terribly wrong with me? As well as the, uh, the, the husband, the 2.5 kids and everything else that we were promised in so many ways, because that's what media told us at the time was going to be the perfect life was always depicted for us on television. I'm going back to my own time sure, frame. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, and what that was. And so I think there's a, a lot of, of men and women who can resonate with that not feeling as if they fit in or as if they quite belong or, or as if they're not, they're trying really hard, they're striving to be what everybody wants them to be. And it's just not, it's just not working. Yeah. And if you're smart, one day you wake up and you say, maybe it's not, maybe I wasn't wrong in the first place. Maybe I had something right and maybe all of them are wrong. And that's an incredibly courageous move to make. And that's, that's an incredibly courageous position to take to say, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go on the second half of the mountain, even though they're all saying I'm crazy. They're all saying, what the hell are you doing? Why are you leaving? Why are you, you know, going off on your own? You're weird. You're whatever. So, you know, then you move into that second half of the mountain because nothing else feels true. And that you, you find, you look back, you know, at the first half of the mountain. At that point, you look back and you go, oh, thank God I didn't fit in because I'd still be there. And I'd still be believing those things about myself. Yeah. I mean, I'd still be playing that, that game. I mean, literally, when I had my waking up experience, my very first thought after everything was just, you know, like the perfection of the universe was there. And, you know, as I started to come back into whatever it was that was, you know, Robin, I was like, oh, my God, it took you long enough. I cannot believe you let me sleep for 35 years. What were you thinking? I was, I was just 
incensed. And, and I remember that very well, very, very clearly feeling that I had been asleep for 35 years. And now I was awake, and somehow I guess I thought someone was supposed to wake me up earlier. <laughs> but they <laughs> the didn't. And it's like, what? Exactly. Like, where were you? Are you kidding me? 35 years. It was, it was as if I had found my deepest, truest self, and I had no idea that it even existed. And I was just looking around saying, really? You wanted to waste 35 years? Seriously? I couldn't believe it. And, and I know my, my listeners are probably just as curious as I am, especially if, they, if they're not familiar with the awakening story. Could you, could you tell us a little bit more about it? About what was it? What was the awakening? You know, it, it's a very uneventful story. I was in a class. I had just left my husband and, and my kids every other week, and I was, you know, free to do anything I wanted to do. And and um, you know, I kind of left the religious um, portion of our life, and and uh, and I'd always been intuitive and and uh, somewhat psychic, but I always thought that was just you know the weird, bad, new age section of the bookstore, and you <laughs> didn't go there. And um, and I had no idea. I, didn't, I had I was was very uneducated. I grew up in a small town, and and my education was actually not that great. Um, and so I didn't know. I never heard of Buddhism. I never heard of any of the other, you know, religions. I just knew that mine wasn't working for me. And so, you know, I went to a class on on developing your psychic abilities, um, which was very cool, um, with a beautiful woman, Belarus Knapperstack. You might have heard some of her guided meditations. Years ago, they were very, very popular. And it was just a, it was just a workshop. And I was asking her a question, and she answered the question. And when she answered the question... Um, and I found out later that this is somehow how awakening happens is in, in an instant. In an instant, I was connected to the universe, and this funnel opened up above my head, for the lack of a better term, and I you know, kind of jumped out of Robin and became everything and looked around and, and saw the utter perfection of every single thing that existed and every single thing I'd done and every book that I would ever write and every, you know, person I would ever love and every child I would ever, you know, raise and everything was just in this absolute utter perfection. And there was nothing out of place. And 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 then again that that me that knew that, it was like that me that knew and understood that woke up. And, and was then alive inside of me as a more dominant um, personality or being or whatever than, than Robin, as I had known her, was. And yet at the same time, when I came back out of that experience, and I really don't know how long it lasted, um, probably only seconds uh, in real time, um, then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to figure out what just happened. And I'm going to have to figure out who Robin really is. And I'm going to have to, um, you know, and then all my brain synapses that were set to fire, all my memories and everything that were set to, you know, everything that had been in my life for the first 35 years, suddenly they weren't gone. So I had this awareness that was amazing, but I had Robin to deal with. And, and that's what's taken 17 years to get congruent on. Well, it's 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 not a mundane story, by the way. No, it's not. Well, it's, yeah, yeah, okay, I see. Well, for it's me, it's really like not. it wasn't it wasn't like you know it wasn't like anything you know happened to really set it off right. that part. 
and so you've talked about being on on a path and as as we talk about this second half of the mountain there are a couple of different kinds of uh, of ways that people choose their paths or or go about creating paths in their lives this is a blog that's on your website and i and i found it fascinating because i related certainly to to one of them but you talk about serial pathists right <laughs> you talk about mo monogamists right and then then my very favorite the wild swingers right could you say a little bit more about each of these well you know if you if you take your vows um, to be a, a Buddhist monk or a Buddhist nun and or a Catholic nun or any, you know, religion, then, you know, and you stay with that for the rest of your life, that would be a monogamist. <laughs> um, the the serial would be the one who says, okay, well, I'm a Buddhist for a while and then that ran out and now I'm going to work on Taoism or whatever and, and, you know, and kind of go through one but be devoted to one in each time. Um and then, uh, and then there's the wild swingers, which is just everything. And, and more and more, I think we're seeing the everything because it's a melting pot of spiritual traditions. And, and there's so many different, you know, expressions and, and what I like to say is stories that we can, we can jump into. And, and, uh, but we're also able to pick and choose and see what makes it fit. And I think a lot of people feel bad about that. They feel, well, I really should just have one thing. But the world is such now that I think the the um you know the wild swingers are actually the majority, and I think that's that way for a reason um and so we have we have this opportunity to look at it and see the synthesis of the different systems um of the different paths, and where are they all the same and and that really in particular fascinates me because because that's reliable beyond the story. When it, you know, when when every tradition has, you know, the similar piece of the puzzle, it's to me a more reliable piece of the puzzle. So, for example, if you read the classic book on mysticism, Catholic mysticism, it's just called mysticism. I read it one summer, and and I, other than transposing some terminology, I would have sworn I was reading a shamanic text. It was shamanism through and through. It was exactly the same experience they were having as the shaman would have. And and I was shocked. I was just shocked to find that it was so similar. But but to me, that points to something true. So even if you are a, a swinger, you know, you can look at these systems and you say, okay, what's true across the board in all of these? And can I can I count on that piece as the next rung on my own evolution? I love that. It takes me back to something uh, a teacher had said to me once about my path not necessarily being an it. It is um, something so tangible as, as if it were an occupation, mm. for example, that it's something that, that you bring to everything that you touch. And that was such a life-changing statement for me because I, 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 I would identify with the wild swinger that I've got 
five or six things going on simultaneously. I buy domain names the way some people buy shoes. <laughs> I, I it's you know I was so impressed, really personally inspired to how you've taken all the facets of yourself and you've created this global presence called RobinRice.com and and it is integration to me that is so brilliant with all your passions path and purpose and maybe not all there you know because there's likely to be more i know you have to let go those little darlings that don't write quite fit right (laughs) like what do you do with this one funny thing that just just, you know just sticks out you can't figure out how to integrate it and i loved what you wrote on your your website uh, about the wild swingers you said i'm a contemporary shaman for my task a mystic as my core identity a student of the Tao, a social change artist in the world novelist when there's time and somehow that work spirit passion blends all sort of melds together into one path which is my path and it doesn't have a name other than that and it doesn't need to and how life-changing is that when you can take all those facets of yourself and rather than trying to fit yourself into something, you really truly create your own path, whether or not it has a name. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it, it, it takes a long time for that synthesis to happen. That didn't, you know, that didn't fall into nice little place. It took, it took a lot of work to figure out how it all works and, you know, moving from, you know, Be Who You Are Productions was my company for forever. And, you know, the domain BeWhoYouAre.com is, you know, you know, very, very high ranking, um, you know, search engine wise because of the phrase um, and, and all of that. And to decide to leave that and go to Robin Rice International, which I've literally just changed my corporation papers to Robin Rice International. You're hearing it first here. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to to realize that and and I struggle with this all the time and just just ask my you know business advisors and ask my project manager I talked about it just today that I I can't contain and I can't I can't make it all fit anymore and I'm not in control of it it's like it it hit some kind of a tipping point and some kind of a snowball and I'm not in control anymore of what's happening with that um whatever Whatever it is, it is now, and uh, and I'm both delighted by that and a little afraid <laughs> sometimes because <laughs> I don't know what it's going to ask of me next. Some gleeful terror, I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, and and I say that not just it's not just about me, but it's about all of us. Is that this this letting go and letting it become? You know, we think we are on the path, and I actually think the path is onto us. You know, and and um, you know, I re- I remember years ago speaking to my you know guides and saying, what what do I do? Um, it, you know, what if I take a step to the left, and I end up in some place completely different? And I was really afraid I was going to make a wrong decision. And I just heard these peals of laughter, and they said, you don't understand. You take a step to the left, we move the path a step to the left. You can't get off. And I loved that. I loved it. And I, so ever since then, I haven't worried about it. I've just said, okay, where I go is the path. 
I, I think that's brilliant. And I, I just feel a sense of relief hearing you say that. I, I think one of the most challenging places, certainly for me, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is when something presents itself and I think, well, what if I do that? What if it's yeah. wrong? What yeah. if I was supposed to go to the left and not to the right? And what will happen if if I've made a wrong choice here? And so operating from fear keeps us so small. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, people people ask me how I get so much done. And one of the answers that's the most true is is that I just don't worry about it anymore. You wouldn't believe how much time is spent in worrying about how it's going to turn out or, or if we're going to look good or, or whatever. And I just, I just don't give it any time anymore. And time opens up. There's, there's hours more in the day if you're not in fear. I think that's brilliant. And, and I think if there's anything that anyone takes away from this program, and I know there's lots to take away, that would be the one thing that I would hope for the listeners to know that because I think that's the most powerful thing. And if you can start there, you can probably go anywhere. And, and can I ask one thing of the listeners and of you and <clears throat> of the people that are out there, which circles back to our very, the very beginning of the conversation when you asked who I really am. I will fail at times. I will screw up because that's the nature of being human. I will. I will do my best not to. I will do my best to uh, make it right if I make a wrong. But I will mess up. And so if you can forgive me, I can go to the edge. I can go to the edge and do my very best. If you can't forgive me, if you can't let me be human, if you can't let there be some failures, then I can't go that far because I will be afraid. And so this is a this is a, a, a mutual relationship that allows me to lead by by you allowing me to to be human and potentially fail. Thank you for adding that. That was very important. Robin, was there ever a path that presented itself that you resisted? The one I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> A million times. <laughs> you know, I've resisted being big, you know, um, and and I've both simultaneously knew that's what I wanted to do because I had to be big to have a big impa impact, and I really wanted that. And I've also got a very private side of me. And um, and so this, this bigness, which was predicted by many, you know, seers and such, that was early on in my career, you know, on the one hand, I, I wanted it because it's what I was supposed to do. And on the other hand, I really have resisted. I, I resisted going to Robin Rice because it felt like, well, you know, Be Who You Are is about something. Robin Rice is just, you know, my name. And and I was uh, people had to convince me, you know, this is where you're going. This is what you need to do. And And I know there's so many people out there who know that they can have a big impact. And it's scary for the very reasons that you and I just spoke of. It's scary to know that if you fail, you might hurt people 
or you might disappoint people, or you might not be everything that you thought you were. So the bigger you are, the more likely you're going to be, you know, shot at. I mean, look what we do to our celebrities. Oh, my God. You know, we just, we they, they have to be, you know, shrouded and kept in their closed cars and, and never go anywhere in public because we we vilify them and we, we just do all kinds of stuff. So who would want that? You know, I, I doubt that's really how big I'm going to go, mind you. But but nonetheless, who would want that? And yet I do know a lot of people who have the famous path as their intention that if they don't become famous, they really haven't amounted to anything. And I know it was one of the paths that you talked about where you were comparing the spiritual path versus a more material path. And yeah. so... So what about that? When someone gets really tunnel visioned or, or really doesn't see what they're doing because they haven't become, and these are, there's air quotes around this, they haven't become famous yet. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's amazing how many of us were told that we would be famous, right, by all those psychics and seers and all that kind of stuff. And, and we thought we were supposed to be that. Um, I, I, think, I think that, I mean, that's, that's considered one of the, one of the dangers you know i have a I have a sign up from Lao Tzu that says you know really too too much success is not a good thing you know um and so i try to temper myself with that um i think what really is happening when we want to be famous is that we still have a hunger to be seen and there's nothing more humbling than the long road to becoming bigger to, to kind of knock that out of you. <laughs> you know, I can honestly say that for, for whatever I'm known for, I'm not known for the thing I would most want to be known for. I would most want to be known for my fiction. If you ask from my heart of hearts what I would mm-hmm. want to be known for, it's my fiction. And most people who follow me go, oh, wow, you write books? <laughs> you know, um, they have no idea. They've never read it, you know, and, and yet the people who have read it love it. You know, I mean, I have very, very, very loyal followers once somebody reads one of my books. But that wasn't up to me, you know. So so even if you are going to be famous, it might not be for the thing you thought it was for. What are you going to do? Interesting, yeah. But the, the self-esteem piece, I mean, literally, if you're really going to go this route, if you're really going to be a servant of the people, if you're really going to try to serve something greater than yourself, um, you're going to be humbled so many times that by the time you actually get famous, if you get famous, you won't care because you'll know something more about it than you know right now. Robin, I I read somewhere uh, a quote that of yours that says that conventional wisdom in book writing, since you just mentioned your books, is to write what you know but not when writing your life story. Could you say more about that? Well, I think when people say write what you know, um, usually, I'm not sure the context of what I wrote that in, um, but usually when I talk about write what you know, writing what you know is boring for you as a writer because you already know it. And it's there's no adventure in it. There's no discovery. There's, you know, I, I like to write what I don't know yet. Um, and, and find out about it as I'm writing and, and have it be an interaction and a relationship with the words um, and, and let the story 
unfold and, and delight me in writing it as much as it delights the reader, hopefully, when they're reading it. Um, so that's just my personal feeling is if you write what you know, obviously, you know, you're going to write to some degree about a, a field that you know some background in. But, but if you actually know the story, it's kind of like if you knew everything that was going to happen in the rest of your life, how exciting would it be to wake up in the morning? Yeah, so when you're writing your life story, going into those places that you don't know is really what creates the juice and the excitement and pushing yourself perhaps or testing yourself to see what am I capable of, what's possible for me here. Those that's those are the juicy parts. Yeah, and 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 you know, being being surprised and delighted and you know, when when you, fiction is such a beautiful example. If I never wrote anything dangerous or scary in a book, People would find it boring, you know. Um, I know my job. Every single on every single page as a writer, my job is to to give you either a problem to solve or a an adventure to follow. Those are the only two options I have on every single page, and and the same thing is true when we wake up in the morning. Those are the only two options we have: a problem to solve or an adventure to follow. And the vast majority of people, you know, again going back to what do we see. The vast majority of people wake up and solve problems. And um, and even if you're on adventure, there's going to be problems, but it's a way better set of problems than the one it's just you're creating problems for yourself. Because if you think about it, if you, if you woke up tomorrow morning and you had no adventure and you had no problem, you'd be bored out of your mind with your own life. So we create problems, you know, just to make it interesting for ourselves. I'd rather create an adventure. I would too. I know my listeners want to learn more about you and your work, and you you have some amazing projects, social change projects that you've uh, that that you have either ongoing or you've done, and I know you've got some wonderful workshops, even some coming up very quickly. Could you could you give us some not only some background about past projects, but could you tell us where your work is focusing right now and what are some of the things that my listeners might be able to participate in? Absolutely. Um, you know, active right now for social change, we're coming up again on yourholidaymom.com. Um, we support our LGBT youth uh, and really people of any age who, who don't have a mom's love and support by writing letters. Moms write letters um, every day between U.S. Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. And we put those up. Um, I am flirting with, and I'm, again, this is just putting it out there right now, I'm flirting with actually creating uh, something every day on Periscope Live for that this year as well. And so uh, yourholidaymom.com is a beautiful place to be for that and to share that with our community so that our kids can know that they're they're absolutely loved. And, uh, and then... Um, for for uh, working with me, the training your inner warrior. Um, I never have I never have an easy way to explain what this course is. It's so different from everything else uh, that and uh, people who take it say, well, I don't even believe the quotes about it, and then they say, oh, but they were real. You know, once they get into the class, it's 31 days online, and what I do is I take a very very systematic approach, tiny little bites for 31 days that will stay with you all day. Um, and at the end of 31 days, you will have a kind of a mind-blowing epiphany of who you really are and what's gotten in your way and how to move forward and, and uh, actually um, 
create a character within. So I introduce you to several different characters in your brain um, that I've named. They're not real, um, but I, but they they give us a handle on them. And then uh, and and we're you know so many of us are still dealing with our inner demons, and we don't understand that our brain is the bottleneck for our spirituality. Um, the brain's the brain's the problem. So how do we work with our brain to get past that so that our spirituality can flourish and we can create? So that program's coming up, and everything's at robinrice.com. And those are the those are exciting. And then of course I have an apprenticeship uh, that starts in January, and the significant year is a new program that I'm doing, which is very very dear to me. Uh, taking on ten people and basically lending them my magic for a year their dreams become my dreams for a year so that's exciting they all sound wonderful and exciting and i and i noticed you you mentioned the neuroscience yeah as you're talking about the program and your work does include many of the principles of neuroscience as i was looking at your your website what's the reason for including that in your work you know, like I said, the brain is the bottleneck. Um, you know, what, what we think, we, we live in a society where we have made our heads the, the, you know, the emperor of our lives, you know, and we all, we don't even know that we've done that. We, we are so immersed in it that we don't know. We were never taught how to interact with our own brain. We've never taught how to think. Um, and, and yes, you can be taught to cl- think critically and scientifically and all of those kinds of things, but you haven't been taught about how to think about thinking and and how we, we can interact with our own brain. And it's almost like we, we don't realize that we can do that. And when you realize you can do that, when you understand that neuroscience is now saying, look, you can change your brain if you just use this muscle instead of that muscle. If you build the synapses here and if you, you know, let the, these old synapses wither and die, and, um, you know, if you can work with that, I mean, we, we, our spirit is expansive and many, many people feel this, like my spirit just wants to grow, but my head keeps putting me in fear and stopping me. And, um, so if you can understand the mechanisms by which you can change and that you can change through the brain, um, and, and stop it from being the emperor in your life, you, you can really go far. You can change a lot. And you use that as well with the um, the program about breaking the addictive cycles of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that, that one was a big one for me because I'm off I'm off sugar for about a year, and just knew that it was not it was just not healthy, and so yeah, I was really destroying us. All that absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I refer to it as poison, and and I try not to say that. And yeah, here I have. I've said it. Yeah, <laughs> right. It really was poison, and and um, and the way that I went about doing that, plus some other changes in my in my food, was really through neuroscience and knowing that it had to be behavior change yeah. in order for it to stick. Otherwise, you do it for a short period of time. You feel good about yourself, and then you go you re-enter into your own environment or an environment again. And then you go right back to what you what you did before. Or you very easily can cave back into the old behaviors because you you, you haven't recircuited that part yes. of your brain. Yes, 
and and one of the fastest ways and the reason why you know in my programs I use essential oils is because the the um the olfactory sense gets in before the brain can co-opt it and tell you what you're experiencing and so you can have powerful experiences with say peppermint and lemon and grapefruit and other things just through the smell and you can literally train your brain through the smell without having to actually eat the thing and it takes a couple of minutes of time with it but the brain is actually you're not hungry in your stomach because you know if you were hungry um you know an hour after you ate a big meal you're clearly not hungry but something's going on and and the brain wants a pleasure hit is really what it is and you know we're all addicted and so we have, want our pleasure hits and what I found, this was my own personal hypothesis, and I found it to be true, and then I tested it on others, and then it became a program. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to ever discover this, is that is that the pleasure um, hit, if you give yourself two minutes of the pleasure that comes from these amazing, you know, beautiful scents, um, and it wouldn't have to be an essential oil. It could be an actual rose in front of you, um, you know, whatever the, the particular scent is. They each have different properties. Um, you actually have the craving go away because the pleasure hit happened. And so when you have something to replace it, instead of just white-knuckling it, you know, when you have pleasure, and we need pleasure in our lives, and right now the only socially sanctioned pleasure really is food and drink, there's there's no others that we are all celebrating, you know, in 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 any significant way. So for me, the the you know that piece of the puzzle made it possible for people who just couldn't couldn't do it otherwise. And we you know we had remarkable results. Great work, great work in the world. I hope people go to the website if only for that. They'll discover so much more. I think that's so important. Well, and that one's not up right now, just so you know, because we don't have any okay. active classes on it right now. But it will come up again, so sign up for my email okay, um, list. One of the things that I think is so important, it goes. this goes back to the question I had asked you earlier about being the role model, walking your talk. And for, for me, when I went through the whole uh, change in, in my own eating habits, I think this is significant for the listeners who are out there doing their own change work in the world, their own transformational work, is it It made perfect sense to me that if I was going to be mindful about this world, mindful about humanity and earth, I really had to begin with myself and be mindful about myself and, and how I was handling my own planet, which is my body. Yes. And, yes. and so that was because people will say, wow, you lost a lot of weight. You really look great. And, and, and it was not the primary reason. It was, it was part of the outcome of changing how I behaved and, and, and how I took care of myself. But it's so important that we do begin with ourselves that way because, we're, I mean, we're, we're all we've got to do this work in the world. And if you do it in yourself, your world around you will transform. And, and, you know, by all means, I don't want anyone to think, look, I have to go off all sugar for the rest of my life. And, you know, I mean, I have sugar on occasion in different, in, in healthier forms. But, you know, a lot of people get scared when they hear that, you know, oh, my God, I have to go off sugar forever, all forms forever. And, and, um, and you know, there's different ways to do it. So we encourage 
whatever your next step is. If your next step is simply not drinking soda anymore, great, we'll support that, you know, whatever it is. But yes, doing it ourselves first. And that's, I mean, it's always got to be ourselves first. And we also don't have to be perfect. Absolutely. Because, I mean, if we wait until we're perfect, we're going to wait a really long time. <laughs> At least if with me, it's going to be a really long time. I, I, for me too. I mean, I would agree with that. I think perfection is, um, it's really lovely. It's in, you know, it's, it's out there somewhere and, and, you know, any step I take is a step in, in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's all perfect in some greater, you know, macro view of things. It's all perfect. And, um, and it's also very imperfect and, and it's okay to be imperfect where, you know, we live in a perfection obsessed culture, but it's really okay. Uh, it's not only okay, it's just the way it is. If there was one thing my listeners could take away, if there was something you would want them to take away from tonight's program, what would it be? I think it would be that the second half of the mountain is really remarkable. The, the air is fine. The beauty is stunning. The path is arduous, but you learn to not have it be anymore. And then you're free. And really, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the freedom that comes from that that second half of the path and it's there it really is there uh it's and, and it's okay to not be perfect it's okay to not have arrived or, or whatever your thinking will change so much and your spirit will change so much by the time you're there that you will almost not recognize yourself before um but but there's a sense i think in the world now that we're never really going to be happy you know, we're never really going to get there. We're never going to. And that's not actually true. We actually will and we can be happy um, in our lives. That, that, is, that, is, um, that is not only possible, I think it's your birthright. So I hope that they don't give up on that. I hope the same. Robin, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. It was delightful. And I also want to thank you for sharing so generously your work and your time. I, I know I'm really grateful for it, and I'm grateful for it for my listeners, that they get to hear you and get to know more about you. So thank you. Absolutely. And I hope my tribe finds you as well. Well, thank you. I would love that. I want to give a special shout out to my listeners who are on their own evolutionary journeys, their own paths. Thanks so much for supporting this program and supporting its guests. Next week, my program features Reverend Susanna Basterica in a conversation about peace after she attends the United Nations meeting on the culture of peace and New York City's 9-11 memorial service this week. Our conversation highlights the upcoming vigil for international peace through music, art, poetry, dance, and prayer to be held in New York City's Central Park Bandshell on September 20th. Please join us. Until then, create conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate. Good night, Robin. Good night. Good night, everyone.